We live in troubled times. The UK government's website indicated as of the 2nd of July that 128,189 men, women and children in our nation had died from COVID-19. Deaths often in extremely distressing circumstances which have brought great grief, much suffering. And this is only the tip of the COVID-19 iceberg. In addition to the physical and mental health of the nation, the pandemic will continue to adversely affect every sphere of society. We need only to think of the effect on education and employment to know the truth of this. And this is only our nation. This is a global pandemic affecting every nation in the world. The majority of them far less equipped to cope than ourselves. We do indeed live in troubled times. And such times provoke questions. Where is God in all of this? What is he doing? Does he care? Can we trust him? How do we answer such questions? In the same way that God's people should endeavour to ask, answer any question concerning God from his word, from what he says. And the consistent testimony of God's word to his people, the consistent testimony of scripture is that from the very first words of rebellion uttered by our ancestors Adam and Eve God has been at work in his world to redeem and restore and almost always in the midst of troubled times for that is the default position of a fallen world and time and time again scripture spells this out God is at work in troubled times it is the testimony of First and Second Kings, where we have the record of the kings of Israel, the division of the kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, then the demise of Israel at the hands of Assyria, and the diminished state of Judah as it stumbles and staggers towards exile in Babylon. And so too it is the testimony of Second Kings 18 which I invite you to turn to now. 2 Kings 18 bears testimony to God being at work in troubled times, in a new day and in a dark day. In verses 1 to 8, Hezekiah comes as a breath of fresh air. A new day has come. A new David has appeared. A 25-year-old who, as verse 3 tells us, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. A statement that's not qualified in any way. In 2 Kings 14, King Amaziah is said to have done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. And before him, in 1 Kings 15, King Asa did what was right as David had, but he did not remove the high places. Not so Hezekiah. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles, shattering the symbols of Baal worship. He even pounds to pieces the bronze serpent from Moses' time because the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Former associations, even with giants of the faith, cut no ice as far as Hezekiah was concerned. 
But his principal virtue, as far as the writer of Kings is concerned, is his trust in God. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So says verse 5. And the following verses go on to flesh out what this trust involved. He did not cease to follow the Lord. He kept the commandments the Lord had given Moses. The word of the law, the word of God, governed his actions. How does our trust measure up in this respect? Are we holding fast to God? In New Testament parlance, are we abiding in Christ? Are we exclusively his and no others? Are we following him? Being led by him rather than aimlessly wandering? Are we keeping his commandments? Does his word have authority in our lives? Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook was what we read. So successful that he rebelled against the king of Assyria and swept through Philistia all the way to Gaza. A new day in the midst of troubled times. Consider Hezekiah's reign in the light of what had gone before. In the reign of Ahaz, recorded in 2 Kings 16, it looks like Judah is going down the plug hole. But then, God. God at work in his world. God at work to change things radically. God at work through someone who trusted in him. That, of course, is the key. God works through his people. Through those who will put their trust in him who will submit to him, who will be guided by his word. So there is a new day, a breath of fresh air, the breath of God, the breath of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now we have to be biblically realistic as we consider this. Hezekiah reigns now, but Manasseh, whose reign is recorded in 2 Kings 21, is coming. And the darkness will get darker. For us too, the darkness may get darker. We may find ourselves in the aftermath of this pandemic living in a much poorer country. Something which most of our brothers and sisters in Christ have been doing all their lives. And experiencing hardship at a much greater level than we are ever likely to. Irrespective of what may lie ahead, that's no excuse for faithless pessimism in the present. Pessimism that fails to take into account that this is God's world. He is at work in it. And even in the midst of troubled times, he can raise up the Hezekiahs of this world to bring a breath of fresh air as we begin to come out of lockdown, let's hold on to that. That even in the midst of troubled times, God is at work. A new day, a breath of fresh air is possible as God's people trust in him and live lives governed by his word, so bringing the fragrance of Jesus to those around them. Will we be those kind of people? Trusting in our God. Trusting that he is at work. Even in the midst of troubled times. A new day. And a dark day. 
a dark, dark day. As the deadly threat represented by the military juggernaut that is the sadistic superpower Assyria looms large. If Hezekiah was a breath of fresh air, Assyria is a blast of poisonous air. We are told in verses 9 to 12 that Assyria wiped out the existence, out of existence, the northern kingdom Israel, deporting the people. If there had been a national newspaper reporting this event, see the Jerusalem Journal, that's as far as the report would have gone. But the Bible tells us that behind the hand of Assyria is the hand of God. God is at work in his world. In this case, to judge. The demise of Israel is down to disobedience. They had neither listened to God's command nor carried them out, says verse 12. Then and now, sooner or later, actions have consequences. Disobedience can bring dark days as it did in Israel. And Assyria does not stop in the north. Now there is an incursion into Judah. But how can this be? You may be thinking. If Hezekiah is everything, verse 1 to 8, says yes. Surely such commitment to God would bring a blessing down in Hezekiah rather than a bloodthirsty Assyria. Now Judah's principal towns are in Assyrian hands and Jerusalem is next for the chop. How could Jerusalem be in such dire straits when Hezekiah had been so good, so righteous, so faithful? But we should not be surprised about what we're told here. This is a recurring theme in Scripture. Faith is not the equivalent of a super-vaccination that shields us from all disasters. Now, this does not overthrow the overall blessing given to faith, the blessing to be found in Jesus Christ in the here and now and hereafter. But it realistically recognizes that such blessings often can be diluted by trouble and grief. We can trust in the Lord and the Assyrians or a modern day equivalent may still come. A life-threatening illness, a faithful wife betrayed by abandonment, the loss of a job that precipitates a family into a downward spiral of poverty. Second Kings 18 presents us with a picture of a king who trusts and obeys trusts and obeys the Lord his God, who reforms the nation's worship, and yet an enemy comes and seeks to destroy. It's helpful for us to be reminded of this. To be reminded that faith is not some kind of religious silver bullet. Faith still has its problems. And we see another of them in verses 14 and 16. Faith can falter. In the face of the Assyrian onslaught, Hezekiah sends a message to the Assyrian king saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The Assyrian demand is exorbitant. 
300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. 30 tons of silver, 10 tons of gold. The silver Hezekiah can manage, but the gold is a problem and can only be obtained by stripping the gold from the overlaid doors in the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. God's temple. God's gold. There, as a demonstration of God's worthiness to be worshipped, what he is worth to his people. Now, instead of resplendent gold, there is plain, ordinary wood. God is demeaned and cheapened. In giving up what is God's, Hezekiah's faith falters, as does his wisdom in thinking he can trust Assyria. Having pocketed the tribute, the then equivalent of protection money, Sennacherib still sends in the heavies to demand the the surrender of Jerusalem. Faith can falter, even in the Hezekiahs of this world. And therefore, so too in us. In the midst of dark days, COVID days, we can have our wobblies as far as faith is concerned. And sometimes they can be severe. And the best corrective against this is to realise that if it could happen to the likes of Hezekiah, then it could happen to us and therefore be praying that it won't. A dark day that now gets darker as Sennacherib's top brass at the head of a large army roll up to Jerusalem. The first time I preached from this passage, it was from the authorised version, not yesterday. In it, the Assyrian field commander is given a name, Rabshaki. I intend to call him by name. So Rabshaki calls for Hezekiah. Perhaps to retain some royal dignity, three of Hezekiah's cabinet ministers come out instead. Imagine these three men, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, standing there, being harangued by Rabshaki. How are they feeling? How firm is the resolve? In whom are they trusting? Trust is a major theme of this passage. And is at the heart of Rabshaki's speech. He says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending? That word depending occurs five times in six verses. Initially, with regard to Egypt. You're depending, Rabshaka says, on Egypt, that splintered breed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him when he leans on it. An alliance with Egypt was Judah's hope. A hope the prophet Isaiah had said was totally misplaced. Because Egypt was useless. Isaiah 30 and verse 7. That's precisely what Isaiah says. In that verse, Isaiah calls Egypt Rahab the do-nothing. That Isaiah the prophet 
was saying this was bad enough. But now pagan Assyria is saying the same thing. Saying how foolish, how flimsy, how fragile is Egypt, the object of God's people's trust. It's sad when an unbeliever can discern that God's people's trust is in the might of Egypt rather than the might of God, despite the gloss they may put on it. As the world looks at us, do they see that our trust is in our God? In whom do we trust? On what do we rely? The things of God or the things of the world? Is our activity a substitute for our faith or an expression of our faith? On whom do we depend? On our resources, our influence, our programs, our technology? Or do we depend on our God? That actually is Rabshakeh's next port of call, though not to foster faith. He says, and if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now we could say, what a pagan numpty. He doesn't realize that these reforms would have been pleasing to the Lord God. But given that Baal worship had pertained for so long in the northern kingdom and was previously so pervasive in Judah, Rabshakeh is likely to know that not everyone in Jerusalem is over the moon about Hezekiah's reforms. And any divisiveness that can be stoked up can only help Assyria's position. In troubled times, in dark days, unity in God's people, oneness in Jesus Christ is so important. Rabshakeh next uses mockery to attack faith. Here's the deal, he says. I'll give you 2,000 horses for nothing if you can put riders on them but you can't you couldn't repulse one of our minor officials you're a joke you couldn't fight your way out of a wet paper bag standing firm in the face of mockery is not easy to be on the receiving end of scornful world on scornful words like you don't actually believe in all this Jesus stuff, do you? It's not easy. Whether it's in the workplace, in the family, or in the community. And as secularism grows, there may well be more of that to come for God's people. Then Rabshakeh claims Special revelation. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it, he says in verse 25. This is the first indication that Rabshakeh is going to overplay his hand because he doesn't really know who he's dealing with. But that is in the future. 
The king's men standing before him at present know nothing of this. So they seek to indulge in a little damage limitation, pleading with Rabshaki to use Aramaic, the diplomatic language, rather than Hebrew, as much as saying, we don't want these guys standing guard on the wall to understand what you're saying. But of course, there's no chance of that happening. Rabshaki declares that those on the walls are in fact his primary audience. For they, he says, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine. The gloves are well and truly off. The day is getting darker. No one will escape the ravages of this siege, says Rabshaki. Intimidation, threats to produce fear and undermine faith, is the stick Rabshaki uses, followed by the carrot. He says, make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink from his own cistern. Surely, he implies, you prefer water to urine, grapes and figs to dung. Of course, we'll have to relocate you, but that won't be so bad. Choose life not death. Listen to me, Rabshaki says. Don't listen to your king. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in God. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver you. Four times Rabshake seeks to drive a wedge between the people and the king. When the chips are down, in fearful and threatening circumstances, and there has been enough of those around in these troubled times, who do we listen to? Do we listen to the king? Do we look to the king? Do we trust in the king? Do we trust in King Jesus? Do we trust in the Lord God? Do we trust that he will deliver us? In the end, that will depend on how we view our God. Is he for us, the one and only living God? maker of heaven and earth, the God who is to be feared above all the gods because they are not gods but only idols. Is that how we view God? Or do we make the mistake that Rabshaki makes? He says, who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? The Asterian steamroller has flattened every land in its path. None of their gods had been able to protect them. And so Rabshakeh then goes on. How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Rabshakeh assumes that the Lord God is just a God among other gods. The God of a weak, tiny kingdom who is no match for a mighty world empire. As already said, Rabshaki does not know who he is dealing with. Do we? Do we know who we are dealing with? 
in a relationship with the one and only living God. Rabshake does not know who he's dealing with. And that, as we will see next week, will have deadly consequences. In dark days, in troubled times, who can deliver us? Only one. Only the one God in Jesus Christ. The God who in the darkest of all days on the cross of Calvary took the worst that sin and death and Satan could throw at him and rose victorious from the grave. Bringing deliverance, forgiveness from sin, freedom from sin, freedom in Christ by the indwelling power of the Spirit. The one God, the God in Jesus Christ, we are to trust and obey in the midst of times of trouble, dark days. We have a picture of that at the end of the passage. The people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Rabshake waits expectantly. But clothes torn in anguish accentuating the darkness of the day. Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, three king's men, turn away and head back to Hezekiah to report in. Eliakim, Shebna, Joah, three named men. The Bible always makes things personal. It's that kind of book. Substitute your own name for any of the three. Imagine yourself there, hearing the call to trust and obey the king. How do you respond? How do I respond? Troubled times. But God is at work in his world. The God who is able to bring forth a new day, even in the midst of troubled times, raising up those who will go against the flow, will go by the book, be governed by God's word, those who will trust in their God in a new day. Again, I say, as we come out of lockdown, will it be a new day? Will we trust in the Lord? And so be and bring to those around us the fragrance of Jesus, a breath of fresh air. Will we trust and obey in a new day or even in a dark day when all seems bleak? Will we trust our God, remembering that it is his world and that he is at work in it to redeem and restore. Remembering that it was on the darkest of days on the cross of Calvary that God and Jesus Christ brought forth the greatest deliverance and accomplished salvation from sin and death and hell. Remembering that, and so remembering that he is not a no-account deity. He is God. And he will hold us fast. Remembering that he is Jesus Christ, 
King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will hold us fast. For he is God, the God we are to trust in, in troubled times, trust and obey. For he will hold us fast, be it a new day or a dark day. Amen. Our final praise item is, he will hold me fast. Let's stand. He will hold us fast. So go forth in faith. Faith in the faithfulness of God. Faith in his love for us in Jesus Christ. And may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless, preserve, and protect us this day and forevermore. Amen.